0: I mean, it's kind of cute, right? Hello, and welcome back to Kind of Cute. And if you're new here, welcome. My name's Bailey Evan. I'm your host. And on Kind of Cute, we discuss articles from The Cut and my general pop culture musings. Guys, I want to start off with like a very self-indulgent story because I think it's relevant. And I say that it's relevant because a few months back, one of my legit shits was a lamination kit that I bought off of Amazon. And just to recap for you, a lamination kit is basically like a perm for your eyebrows and your eyelashes. And you've probably seen it on Instagram where they have like those really feathery looking brows and they're really like brushed straight up. So I did it on my brows and I said on here, I was like I, I put it on legit shit, but I was kind of like, you know, I don't know if it's for the faint of heart because I felt like my actual eyebrow hairs felt a little weird afterwards. I, you, you know, having perming solutions so close to your nose and mouth, not ideal, Well, (laughs) fast forward, and I made Kenzie try to do the lash lamination on me, which involved like silicone little pads glued onto my eyes. Kenzie way too close to my eyes with perming solution, literally like up in my eyes with the perming solution. And it didn't work the first time because I've learned that the solution goes bad after it's open for a couple months. So this week I bought a whole new pack off of Amazon and I had Kenzie try it again and I don't know why I'm telling you all this. Maybe I'm telling you this because there's no way you can do this process on yourself. Very easy to laminate your own brows. Laminating your own eyelashes is a different story. And Kinsey, I thought, wanted to murder me last night. Because during part of the process, after you've like glued the silicone pads onto your eyes and like brushed up the eyelashes onto the silicone pads, you have to cover your eyes with saran wrap, plastic wrap, whatever you want to call it. And at this point in time, I am screaming at Mackenzie to start the timer immediately because I'm like, I cannot have this fucking saran wrap and silicone things on my eyes for one more second than is necessary. I will say this is an esthetician's job that is expensive (laughs) to do. And I've tried it with these stupid little Amazon at home (laughs) packages. And also, okay, I think this thing could be easier to do. If you didn't have the silicone pads, they look like little chicken cutlets that you put on your eyelashes and they look like super puffy. And I just don't think they help. I think professionals actually use wooden dowels. Yeah, like I really really don't think they help at all. Well, whatever. So it was a scene. Um, So that's really that was a long story to tell you yeah buy the lamination kit laminate your brows go hog wild do not try it on your eyelashes because while i came away from both of those scenarios unscathed the process was not pleasant and i think it really deteriorated kenzie's and i's relationship for a good 20 minutes so moving on to our pop culture ditties of the day um Speaking also, I, I sorry, Kenzie's just on the mind, apparently. So she was so sweet for my birthday. She got me, like, the best presents. She took me to make pottery. And one of her other presents was a little bit delayed. And I didn't know what it was. I literally am so good at guessing. And for some reason, I could not guess what this was until we are, like, 15 minutes away from going to this thing. And what it was was seeing this movie called Some Kind of Heaven. And it was at this cute little theater in Lake Worth, which is this really quirky town next to where I live. And I haven't talked about this, right, yet? Okay. And it was at this movie theater. It also doubles as an actual theater for plays. We were some of the only people in the whole theater. It's super small. And, again, I had never heard of this movie. But Kenzie's telling me that it's about the villages. And the villages, maybe if you're outside of Florida, you aren't aware of them. But it's this elderly community in... Kind of around the Ocala area, is that correct? And so that's kind of like actually by where I went to law school, where Kenzie went to college, Gainesville, Florida, but you know, not really like the best part of the state of Florida. So obviously they were able to buy up a lot of land. And you hear a lot about the villages because you just they're just become this sort of cultural phenomenon. And you hear about them as being like the number one place of having STDs because apparently these elderly people get around. Apparently they wear glitter shoes if they want to get it on. Sadly, this documentary did not address that, but it did address a lot of things I didn't know about the villages and it follows four people. Anyways, it's definitely worth seeing and I really enjoyed it. But the reason I bring it up on this podcast is because lo and behold, like a week after I saw it, because we actually got to see it early because they were releasing it to the small little indie theaters first. So we saw it before it actually came out. And um, then Caroline Calloway posts, I think this was earlier this week, and it says, just Skyping with my friends, and no, I will not be elaborating more on our intimate friendship at this time, except to say, go watch Some Kind of Heaven, and it's her in a Zoom meeting with Taylor Lorenz, who does all of the cool Gen Z pop culture writings for the New York Times, internet culture. We talked about her on here before, and then another guy who I guess was involved with the movie, and then Darren Arinfansky, or however you say his name, who had a thing with Jennifer Lawrence, had a thing with Natalie Portman. He directed Black Swan. He directed that directed that weird movie Mother that I refused to watch. So h- why is he on a Skype with Caroline Calloway? If Caroline Calloway ever comes on this podcast, that will be the first thing I ask her. And I would love more of her feedback on Some Kind of Heaven. I mean, she said the movie's really good, but I would like to you know dissect her favorite characters because honestly... It just it was a great movie, guys. Just go see it. If anyone knows the Caroline Calloway connection, I'm thinking maybe she was on this call because she is friends with Taylor Lorenz. I don't know. Very strange. Speaking of movies, Sydney Sweeney, she is on Euphoria. She's like the big titted blonde girl. She was also on Handmaid's Tale. She is not to, you know, put her down to her boobs, but she does have very large titties. And she is starring in a movie with Chase Hudson, also known as Little Huddy, if you are familiar with the TikTok e-boy world. So this seemed like a very strange pairing because I think of Sydney as this kind of really up-and-coming, soon-to-be A-lister, and Chase Hudson, obviously super famo. But I think of him as the guy who dated Charlie D'Amelio when she was too young. If you go back, we've talked about this it's it's a lot to get into, but I love talking about Gen Z. So when I saw that this was happening, I was I just had to look into it more. Now, when I started researching this, I didn't realize the movie was actually already out. It came out on January fifteenth. It's you can find it on YouTube. If you go to Downfalls High, which is the name of the movie dot com and click on watch. It takes you directly to the YouTube, and you can watch the whole movie. It's only 45 minutes long, but it is directed by none other than Megan Fox's boo, Machine Gun Kelly, and it's also narrated by Travis Barker of Blink-182 fame, which can I go on a quick tangent to say, did you guys see the internet is really pushing for Kourtney Kardashian and Travis Barker to get it on? I guess he was posting some thirsty comments on our Instagram, which kind of made this come to fruition. I don't know. But back to Downfalls Hi, I watched the trailer for it, and it opens with a shot of Sydney and Little Huddy from behind and with text overlaying it that says, A first-of-its-kind musical experience. And Sydney is wearing a share from Clueless looking outfit, you know, the yellow plaid one that everyone knows. Little Huddy looks like his little e-boy self, which kind of looks like Edward Scissorhands, which he actually dressed up as on James Charles' channel, so it's all really full circle. And then you have MGK singing a song called Ticket to My Downfall. What do you want to be when you grow up? Dead. I'm selling tickets to my downfall. I started to wonder, is this all really just an elaborate ruse to advertise MGK's music? And to add to the weirdness, this movie is co-written by Mod Sun. And I saw Mod Sun open for Hoodie Allen years ago and he gave me major hot mess vibes, which was later confirmed for me when he dated Bella Thorne and was very close with and potentially dated Tana Mongo. Mon Mongeau. Mongeau. So I'm sorry if that was approximately 50 names that you don't give a shit about, but I am personally deeply intrigued. I will be watching that movie tomorrow. I already put it in my calendar. Actually, maybe tonight. Guys, when this is over... Oh, yes, Kenzie has our friend Ellie here. So I have, this is my first time having an audience that isn't just Kenzie. And we're going to go wild and watch <laughs> Downton Falls High tonight, guys. Uh, moving on from that, you know, Lori Harvey and Michael B. Jordan are dating. They've been posting these really lovey-dovey pictures together. The fact that Michael B. Jordan is now in a relationship is crushing the hearts of girls everywhere. But what I was informed by from an Us Weekly magazine at the checkout line at Publix the other day, is that Lori Harvey is Steve Harvey's daughter. Now, this came as a shock to me because Lori Harvey is so, 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 so beyond stunning that I just couldn't believe that Steve Harvey was her dad. And so I was thinking, well, maybe Steve was just like a fox back in the day. And I looked it up and he was not. So then I was like, well, this has to be coming from somewhere. And it turns out that her mom, Marjorie Harvey, is in fact a fox. Just in case anyone else was wondering that but didn't want to go through the effort of Googling it, that is what I'm here for, to do that hard-hitting journalism that you guys wait for every week. Now we just spoke of them getting together, but let's speak of the breakup of the year so far and that is Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas. They are donezo. This was going so viral. This was the meme before Bernie Sanders and his little mittens became the meme. Uh because it was a picture of the Ana de Armas cutout that we talked about being thrown out in the trash and hilariously this picture came out literally on the same day that the news broke that Ben and Ana were breaking up. And This whole news story just made me feel so warm and fuzzy inside and not because I'm happy about their breakup, but just the pure absurdity of this cutout being trashed and so publicly and the timing of it. It's just the sort of celeb story that I delight in and it's been a good week guys. We had the inauguration on yesterday. I watched it. I loved Lady Gaga's little Mockingjay moment. I know it was a dove, but it was giving me Mockingjay vibes. Amanda Gorman's poem like literally was making me tear up. She looked gorgeous. Can you guys imagine for a second being 23 and being that poised and brilliant? I loved Garth Brooks. Like, oh, obviously J.Lo and <laughs> J.Lo's forehead was moving a little bit. So maybe the whole no bot- Botox thing is true. Maybe she really is using her J.Lo products sold at Sephora. Who knows? Garth Brooks cracked me up because... He just like, I think I like Garth Brooks songs, but and I'm sure they had backing tracks. But am I the only one who just felt like he, he didn't sound that good? I don't know. Unpopular opinion, maybe. But it was a beautiful day. Happy week to everyone. Let's get into our articles for the day. Kim and Kanye to Divorce in Most Kardashian Way Possible by Claire Lampin. Now, y'all know I love bragging about my correct predictions, but I will always be the first to admit when I am wrong. And I predicted a few episodes back that I thought the Kim and Kanye filing was imminent. I was like, it's either tonight, it's within a few days. I thought it would be done weeks ago. But apparently they're saving it up for TV. So according to Page Six... In a new exclusive, the tabloid column reports that the disintegration of Kim and Kanye's marriage will feature heavily in season 21's storyline. The couple are reportedly negotiating a settlement and dividing their assets, but keeping the particulars under wraps until a dramatic televised reveal. A source close to Kanye allegedly told Us Weekly that he is less than thrilled about this approach and that he did not participate in the emotional final episode. And wow, that would be the Kardashians' biggest drama coup of all time so I totally believe this even though no I totally believe it because they have so often laid everything bare when it comes to breaking off engagements the struggles with Lamar and Khloe and even though I haven't watched the Kardashians in years I still just this feels right in my soul that if their actual divorce isn't heavily you know talked about I think maybe we will see some of the deterioration and some of the struggles that Kim faced as she grapples with this huge decision. All right, guys. This, I I didn't even know if I wanted to include this. You know, I was very uh, hedged, I guess, in my way of speaking about the whole Army Hammer situation when we talked about it last week. Because again, I just so feel for... The victims of this because I believe everything he did went so far beyond a carnivore kink or whatever you want to call it and became so manipulative and abusive. But I felt like I needed to follow that up with this article because it's just too fitting not to. And it is titled Do You Have Some Questions About Cannibal Fetishes by Courtney Shea. <sighs> So, The Cut spoke to Catherine Gates, who is a social anthropologist and author of Deviant Desires, to find out more about this particular proclivity and how to tell the difference between erotic play and abuse. Y'all, I was an anthropology major, and maybe I chose the wrong career. That's all I'm saying and I should give you this little recap because I think the cut they they kind of summed it up just just to center you guys if you haven't heard last week's episode it says details are still unfolding about the allegations against Army Hammer the actor has denied what he says are bullshit allegations which is literally what he said to a few news outlets one being the Daily Mail really going to reputable sources here and in fact the whole I'm a 100% cannibal thing which uh, hammer allegedly message an ex may be deflecting from more serious controlling behavior. Still, it's not every day that cannibal kink makes headlines and, well, we have questions. So that's why they brought on Catherine Gates, the social anthropologist, to ask her more about what is behind all of this. So the name for a carnivore fetish is actually Voraphilia and it comes from just the vor part of carnivore. It's not an actually medical term. It's completely made up. It's not a real word. Uh, And she says it's most often associated with fantasies that are less realistic in nature. And you guys... This line is what made me realize I had to talk about this because I used to talk about furries on here all the time. And when's the last time we talked about a furry? It's been way too long. So she says, often you see this in the world of furry fandom where you have people who are interested in being swallowed whole by a character from an anime show. It can be more or less violent or sensual, sensual, but it's usually somewhat cartoonish and less realistic. There are Vore fans who want to be mashed by a giant set of teeth or have their whole body massaged by a tongue. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> okay, I have a lot of things to say here. First off, if you know someone or you are someone who wants to be swallowed whole by a character from an anime show, I would love to speak with you because I have a lot of questions. And I'm not to make fun of you, I truly am curious and want to know. So just putting that out there. Next up, I kind of see the wanting to be, have your body massaged by a, a tongue, getting mashed by a giant set of teeth. I've had gurgi gnaw on my body parts enough to know that is not a pleasant experience. And he has a small set of teeth. So again, where these fetishes come from, enthralling to me. So then uh, Courtney, the author asked, what, what about if you wanted to barbecue and eat your partner? And the anthropologist says, that sounds more like cannibal play, which tends to involve more realistic scenarios. I have a friend who has her basement all set up with a playroom that has a spit. Her partner will turn her around on it. It's still fantasy. They're not actually eating pieces of people, but you will have one person be the meat and the other is the preparer. (laughs) I mean, can y'all imagine again someone on a freaking spit getting turned around? Mmm. Okay, I'm like, I'm trying not to be judgmental. This is what I'm saying. I really want to be able to question people about this. And I'm trying to like approach this from, to normalize it. But I just can't, guys. I can't. And she says, um, you know, just because something is a fantasy about something and it's taboo, Doesn't mean that it's actually gonna happen or it'll be unsafe or be done in an illegal fashion. And she says, I think that anybody who is conversant with the idea of kink will understand that people have fantasies and will keep them in the realm of fantasy. And that is something that I can completely understand. But one thing that I've grappled with with reading about this is when does that cross over into being problematic? When you watch so many things and you consume so many things and you feed into these fetishes aren't you going to get to a point where you really want to act it out in reality? I'm not saying that's true of everyone. But if you indulge it so much, do the lines blur? Like that's the other thing I really want to understand because right now I don't understand how you can put that really clear line in the sand when you're getting into this and you're doing stuff like having someone on a spit. I mean, are these people, you know, it must take just such a high level of trust with your partner because if someone asks to roll me on a spit, on a split spit I would literally think the next night I was going to be a full on rotisserie chicken and no longer on this earth like I would think I was going to be in a fridge the next day so again maybe it just takes a level of trust that I do not understand and The anthropologist goes on to say that if there's a pattern of abuse with a person who also has cannibal tendencies, the problem isn't the cannibal fantasies. The problem is the abuse. And I think that's very true of what's being alleged against Army Hammer that the abuse is really the problem here. But again, it's like chicken or the egg. I mean, did him having these cannibal tendencies and fantasies cause him to be able to easily go into abuse? I don't know. (laughs) And I know I'm reading so much of this article in the dialogue, but so much of it is gold. (laughs) Because the next thing that the author asks is, do most people want to be the meat or the eater? And she says, this is basically the difference between a bottom or a top. And bottoms are a lot more common. The idea is that they get off on being an object and having things done to them. In this case, that might mean being stripped and painted with lines to show the different cuts of meat, oiled up, salt, and peppered. That sounds like those sorority hazing horror stories you hear about. And so the author says, fantasy salt and pepper or actual salt and pepper? And she says, real salt and pepper. There are people who want an apple in their mouth, a carrot in their butt. I'm laughing because it's funny. It's play. She's saying that. The anthropologist, not me. I'm laughing too, though. I know another couple where they'll go to Trader Joe's for dinner as a form of foreplay. Or they'll go to Williams-Sonoma and walk around looking at all the cookware. Maybe he will poke her with a set of tongs. Guys, I don't know if I can go in Williams-Sonoma again and look at it the same way. And then I will just leave you with this uh, nightmare fuel. It says, do people who are in divorce or cannibal play know from an early age? And she says, that depends. There are people who come to these things because they are interested in trying something new. Blah, 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 blah. And then there are people who are quite specific, who can only experience sexual arousal in this way. And they are usually know from the very first time they see a porky pig episode and she says do you just mean childhood cartoons or porky Pig specifically and she says there's a famous episode of porky pig where he has a nightmare where he gets cut up and eaten for my book i spoke to an older generation of war fans and a lot of them mentioned that specifically should i find some audio from that and put it in right here <laughs> just to really fuel your nightmare fuel That's all, folks. All right, guys, moving on in case you aren't emotionally scarred yet. At Armus Updates weighs in on the banana split. Guys, I know we already talked about it, but you know I'm obsessed with Armus Updates. I loved the first article that Sanjita did on hers. And she writes that she's notorious for her praise of Anna de Armas and for her witty criticism, criticism that ultimately led to get her getting blocked by Anna in April of last year because she was, she was always talking about how Ben and Anna like would go out for walks without their masks. So, anyways, she still continues to stand Ana de Armas, and Sanjita asks her the hard-hitting questions. So, Armas updates says that she was shocked about the breakup and she had this to uh, opine about what led to the breakup. She says, "I think the age difference to a certain extent. They're in different places. Anna wants to create while Ben wants to her rehabilitate." And that's just poetic. I think that's what I love about Armus updates. She just knows when to get deep. And then Sanjita asks how she thinks the breakup will affect Anna's celebrity. And she says Anna's about to enter into a new phase of her career, and perhaps she didn't need the baggage that Ben brings. Her star will only continue to rise. That was always going to happen before Banana, and obviously it will after. And then she describes her favorite banana moment, which was when Ben bought, or I'm sorry, when Anna bought Ben a custom motorcycle with matching helmets for his birthday. And then they took it for a ride so that was very cute and then the other one was when they got locked out and Ben jumped over the fence to save the day she says that was pure gold honestly I've had to do that a lot at my house like scale my one time when I lived with my friend Megan I had to like booty boost her over the fence so we could get (laughs) into my house and we were just praying that my back door was open and because we're slobs it was um so, I mean, I wish the paparazzi had been there for that. Anyways, I can't wait to have Sanjita on this podcast and ask her about ARMA's updates one day. And um, she also said that Salsa, the dog, is going to get to stay with Anna because that dog has Cuban heritage like her, so she will get to keep it. And then she had some thoughts about the cutout being thrown away. She says, It's suspect to me that the same day representatives from both Ben and Anna's camps confirmed the breakup to the press, the cardboard cutout was publicly thrown away. That could not have been pure, pure coincidence. Speculation that it was Ben's brother Casey throwing the cutout away makes this even more complicated, but I will stand by that because it really did look like him, although it has not been confirmed. I will say that was not Casey Affleck's because the guy um, doing it had a landscape. I think it was diamond landscaping. His shirt said that on the back. So unless Casey was like really going into the prop clothing department, I I don't think he would have a diamond landscaping shirt that was neon. It just I think it was really someone just doing the yard work and throwing the trash away. But if it wasn't and it really was Casey, all around genius. Guys, we've made it to our legit shit of the day. I have two things for you today. And um, as I'm sure you're all well aware, and as I'm sure you've heard me drinking on this podcast many a times, you know I love a cocktail moment. So I splurged, not really, it's 1995, but I had been using a plastic cocktail shaker that was really on its last leg, and then another cocktail shaker that I had got for free at a taco restaurant. So I finally got a nice stainless steel one from Crate and Barrel, It's a Boston shaker, which my mom informed me is like the way, you know, cooler way to go. So the Boston shaker is just like two stainless steel cups together, and it's what bartenders use a lot. And then you use a strainer because it doesn't have the strainer built in like the other kinds do. So I'm linking you the exact shaker I have and the exact strainer I have if you want to up your cocktail game. I've used both of them. I think they work swimmingly. And that's all for today's. I will see you next week. Bye.